This is Generation Justice, a multiracial project that trains youth to harness the power of community through media narrative critical consciousness. I am Zan Dixon. And I'm Madhumita Santanam. We want to remind you that this program broadcasts from the rightful lands of the Tiwa people. Tonight, we bring two important segments that will empower you. The New Mexico legislature is in session. Olay's Deputy Director, Miles Tokenow, and Inclusive Democracy Organizer, Justin Allen, bring us updates on the legislative session, the bills we should be paying attention to, and how you can get involved. Speaking about empowerment, Dr. Denise Herrera, Executive Director at Con Alma Health Foundation, shares about the Foundation's work, her personal journey in philanthropy, and why it's essential to invest in New Mexico. We also have our weekly vaccine equity segment, the community calendar, as well as some incredible music picked up, starting with This Time by Mandy Harvey. How can you be an engaged New Mexican during this year's legislative session? One way is to keep yourself informed. Tonight, our friends at Ole and M bring us updates on legislation happening in our state. We speak with Miles Tokenow, Deputy Director of Ole New Mexico. He has been with the organization since 2016 and is a community organizer, advocate, and educator. And Justin Allen, the Inclusive Democracy Organizer of Ole New Mexico. His work focuses on transformative justice and he is a human rights defender. Justin has been involved with community organizing as well as peer education. Now, Leader for Change fellow Aliana Cordova speaks with Miles Tokenow and Justin Allen. This is Ariana Cordova with Generation Justice, and I am speaking with Miles Tokenow, Deputy Director of Olay, and Justin Allen, Inclusive Democracy Organizer with Olay. Welcome to Generation Justice. Thank you so Thanks much. For Happy to be here. Please tell us more about yourselves. Uh, Miles, why don't we start with you? Sure. Thank you so much, Adi. Um, my name is Miles Tokeno. I grew up in Los Angeles, but have been here in New Mexico since 2010 and have dedicated my life to community organizing and working to create a better world for our future. I do this because I was, I'm an adoptee. My birth mom, who I know and have somewhat of a relationship with, essentially was, wasn't able to imagine being able to raise a child in, in this world. And so I want to create a world in which um, anybody who wants to have a family can imagine having a family and uh, do that in uh, a way that is uh, beautiful and equitable and, um, and full of justice for our communities. Thanks for asking. Thank you so much for sharing. And Justin, what about you? Hi, um, um, my name is Justin Allen. I am a native to Albuquerque, New Mexico. Uh, I grew up here in the South Valley, uh, but I left home really young because being queer wasn't really accepted in my household. I found myself uh, getting involved with substance abuse and eventually found myself in prison. I spent 17 years incarcerated for uh, nonviolent drug-related crimes. Throughout that time, I, I really didn't get a, a sense that uh, it was a place of rehabilitation or uh, recovery. Uh, it was quite the opposite. I learned that it was a really violent culture. Back in 2015, I, I was released and 
started volunteering because I was having trouble getting jobs. And it was through the volunteer work that I uh, got passionate about activism and advocacy. 2017, I joined a grassroots organization, Millions for Prisoners in New Mexico, to to stop the expansion of the prison industrial complex and also stand against state violence. That work eventually led me to advocating for the restoration of voting rights. Today, I'm working as the inclusive democracy organizer with Olay, with the understanding that our voice is an extension of our citizenship and humanity. And so that's what I'm fighting for. That's awesome. Thank you guys so much for sharing. Um, it was so powerful to hear you guys' stories. Um, and I'm so glad that you guys are here to share more. I'd love to hear more about Olay and your guys' mission. Uh, can you tell me more about that? Yeah, Olay is a campaign-based nonprofit. We work on different issue areas. Those are our different campaigns. Our focus is to center the voices and experiences of people who have been directly impacted by the issue, if that makes sense. So for issues related to workers' rights, we want to make sure that workers, right, the people who are affected by having a low minimum wage or not having access to paid sick leave are the ones who are at the table making decisions um, and helping shape what the policies should be. We do that through a lot of different ways, through electoral organizing and making sure people participate in our democracies and that the people that we elect uh, reflect our community's values also through policy making and and storytelling we engage in making media with community members um as well as uh having those stories shape the <laughs> the policies that that define our lives in new mexico and just to add to that uh i look at the work of Olay in four different buckets of work that would be early childhood education uh, workers rights citizenship and democracy reform and all of these things uh, play a role in the safety and uh, uh, success in our, of our communities. And so um, when, I, when I think about the power that our community members hold, uh, our, our job is to help community members recognize that power and learn to advocate for themselves in a way that uh, liberates our whole community. That's great. Um, you're doing such great work. And um, I just wanna say thank you right now. The New Mexico legislative session started on January 17th. Olay has been fighting for permanent funding for early childhood education. Um, can you guys give us an update on Yes for Kids and or the passing of constitutional amendment number one? Yeah, thank you for that question. Um, after a 12 year fight indeed, um, to, to be able to have the question go to voters around whether or not we should um, fully fund early education through the permanent school fund. We passed it on in, in November with 70% approval, which is kind of a big deal, I think. <laughs> uh, yeah, and that's uh, totally, totally exciting to me for lots of reasons, uh, which means that our congressional delegation, so our Congress people, our state, our representatives and senators were able to utilize that incredible support to make sure to approve that those funds can be used for early education. And so um, that has happened as well. That happened at the end of last year. And now we are in the process for this legislative session to make sure that 
the voters get what they want, which is more funding for education, more funding for access to early education, more funding for programs for, for new parents, more funding for early educators to get livable wages and professional wages that they deserve. So um, we're incredibly excited for, yeah, the session and for state legislators to be able to listen to the voters. And Justin, would you like to add anything else? Well, I know that Ole had been working on this for 12 years plus. Uh, I had just started with Ole back in August. And so I had only been with Ole for a couple months before it was passed. And uh, it was really exciting to see, uh, you know, parents and early educators and other other folks that, that this means a lot to uh, the excitement and the, the joy when, when this finally got passed. It's, uh, this is an investment in our youth. I feel like when I think about, you know, the systems that the harmful systems, this is a really important step in, in uh, giving our, our youth a, a stable, um, stable advantage, as opposed to, you know, by allowing for or making childcare accessible and raising teachers wages is, is what's important to our community. I mean, it was really exciting to be uh, a witness the this win this year or last year. It's so exciting to hear about all of this and all this change that's being made. And I'm equally as excited to see where everything goes from here. What are some of the other important bills and issues that Ole has been focusing on? One of the bills that uh, Ole has been working on for a while is lowering the voting age to 16. We feel that this is necessary. It's time. I mean, 16-year-olds are experiencing things that... A lot of adults have never experienced uh, school shootings. Um, and then some of the stuff that's happening in the school board uh, is really problematic for queer youth. We know that school board members uh, are recently hosted a Moms for Liberty um, event. And for anybody that doesn't know, Moms for Liberty is a really problemat problematic national organization that comes against queer youth. and. Basically, what they were doing is rallying parents to advocate that uh, LGBTQ youth are segregated in the classrooms. And segregation and isolation has a really negative impact on uh, our bodies, minds, and spirits. And so we feel that 16-year-olds uh, should have a say in who's making those decisions. Also, another piece we're working on is continuing to work on is uh, restoring voting rights to formerly incarcerated people or returning citizens. Uh, in the state of New Mexico, currently, uh, a person cannot register to vote unless they've completed probation and parole, and that's become a barrier that discourages people from participation. We know that uh, civic engagement reduces recidivism. I'm a living testimony of that. I'm not saying that uh, voting is going to stop people from reoffending, but when people have connection to their communities and a sense of belonging, it's less likely that they'll reoffend. Part of our campaign will be educating community members, young people, impacted folks about the importance of asserting their voice politically, and uh, we're um, structuring a popular education program to allow people to become civically engaged, even though they're not eligible to vote yet. Yeah. Um, it's so exciting for me to think about 
what an inclusive and a just democracy could look like, right? And these pieces are so important to that. Uh, our democracy was not built, right? Um, like so many of the structures with um, any of us in mind, right? And so I think that um, uh, it's really exciting to see and imagine what a truly inclusive democracy can look like. Yeah, other issues that we're also looking at uh, include workers' rights, again. So looking to continue to raise the minimum wage, as many people have seen, prices are being raised for everything except for people's wages, and that's not right. And so uh, we're going to be definitely... Uh, working to raise the minimum wage again, as well as passing a law to ensure that everybody has access to paid family medical leave. So that includes um, giving birth, being able to take time and spend time with family, serious illnesses, and it's uh, like taking up to 12 weeks to be able to do that paid. We're one of two countries that don't have a paid family medical leave program, um, which is Pretty sick. Um, yeah, also looking at more issues of immigration. So we are joining in a coalition to end private detention centers or for-profit detention centers that um, often hold um, our community members and um, yeah, getting paid to, to put people in prison is absolutely not a model that um, should continue in our community. And looking at just housing, we saw housing, right, with egg prices going up, so are rent prices, and we want to make sure that our community members are not, yeah, that community members have a say in what just housing looks like. Um, and last but not least, we are going to be supporting legislation uh, towards a just future in terms of how we deal with renewable energies. So uh, looking to create a just transition office to make sure that workers are not left out of the process around um, transitioning away from extractive industry to uh, renewable industries. So those are, uh, that's the large, larger picture. And we're also going to be looking to support um, other friends, um, bills that that pertain to our our community members as well all of these are such important um, topics to make sure that we're paying attention to i mean it's just super comforting to know that there are so many people out there that have such strong support for this legislation that needs um, to be passed in order to create the change that we need and for our community how can we stay informed on this legislation that we have been discussing today well we're on all the social media platforms and so there's always opportunities to engage, uh, whether it be Facebook, uh, TikTok, Instagram, all the all the platforms. We'll also be holding trainings uh, for community members so that we're uh, preparing community members about how to talk about these issues in a way that's effective and not, uh, that doesn't counter the narrative. A lot of uh, uh, popular education, I mean, we're going to be uh, reaching out, doing outreach with alternative schools and uh, charter schools. And so what would you add to that, Miles? No, I agree. Yeah, social media, um, we will be adding updates on all of these issues uh, often and indeed come to trainings that uh, around demystifying and kind of making more transparent the process of uh, of passing a bill in in our state 
and make sure to continue to keep listening to and following Generation Justice, who I'm sure y'all are going to be, you know, continuing to uh, provide really wonderful coverage of what's happening in uh, the Roundhouse. Um, that's where our state legislature meets um, and make the, and that's where they vote. So, um, yeah. So last, le last legislative session, we were hearing from legislators that they weren't hearing from enough young people. And it's because young people were in school during the legislative session. And so we're encouraging young people to create video content or other um, TikTok videos or other creative content that uh, really allows them to uh, use their voice and speak on these issues that they care about. And so we'll be figuring out uh, prizes for contests, uh, TikTok creation contests, or other other means of getting uh, amplifying their voices. That means so much to hear as a young person myself, um, to know that there are people supporting and empowering us and um, giving us support during times like this. It's so comforting to know. So thank you for that. And. Um, where can people find more information about Olay and the work that you guys do? You can find out more about Olay at our website, olaynm.org. That is Olay, O-L-E-N-M dot O-R-G. Um, or on social media, we are, you can find us on TikTok at Olay probably NM or Twitter or Instagram or Facebook. We have an office at 411 Belmont in the downtown area. If anybody wants to come in, I mean, somebody's always in there. And if there's a specific person you need to talk to or, or one of the buckets of like I mentioned, there's a uh, citizenship, there's inclusive democracy, early childhood education and workers rights. I mean, if any of those things interest you, uh, come to our office and let us know. And before we wrap up, is there anything either of you would like to add? I Yeah, I'd love to add. I just want to, um, you know, leave with uh, the seed that a functioning democracy is one that is uh, with full participation. Right. And that means you listening in right now, participating and democracy is is voting. That is one part. But even if you can't vote, being able to talk to representatives who represent you too, not just their voters, but everybody um, of the state being able to, yeah, share your stories, your values, um, the things that you care about is so deeply important and so invite you all to um uh yeah to reach out to figure out other ways to be able to um either make calls emails um to to your legislators um and representatives and senators or um or join us up in santa fe where you can talk to them face to face yeah because um our stories are our power in a lot of ways. And when we come together and unite, um, it makes all the difference. I would just like to add that every election we hear about efforts to address crime after it's happened. And there's not a whole lot of conversations about how to prevent crime. And the things that we, the work we do at Olay, uh, 
kind of addresses that. I mean, it does address that. I mean, the work we do invests in our communities and the humanity of our people as opposed to the systems of harm. And, you know, yeah, as young people, your creativity, your visions of the future are so deeply important to exactly uh, what Justin's talking about. So um, please, I encourage you um, and offer any support to be able to um, make those visions um, and and foster that creativity um, for a more just future that y'all want. Thank you so much for um, leaving us on such a positive note. You know, just making sure that everyone knows that they have your guys' support, our support here at GJ, just to know that there's people behind us at every step that we take in the legislative session. So thank you so much for leaving on such a positive note. Um, and I want to say thank you again um, to both of you, uh, Miles and Justin, for joining me today, uh, for talking about uh, what you guys find so passionate in the work that you do, especially, you know, as a young person myself, we've talked a lot today about legislation that has to do with um, supporting young people, voting rights for young people, but also voting rights for those who have been previously incarcerated, you know, talking about everything from supporting people uh, who struggle with food insecurity to, you know, voters' rights and workers' rights and everything. Um, it just means so much to me to hear, to know, you know, like I've said, that there's just so much support behind me because sometimes it really doesn't feel like there is. Um, and it's so good just to have that reminder that there are people behind me, behind my fellow young people. So I want to thank you guys for that. Like you said, our stories are our power, and it's such a great, powerful note to end on. Thank you again for that so much. For Generation Justice, I'm Ariana Cordova. Thank you, Miles and Justin, for coming on air to talk with us about the current legislative session and for speaking on the importance of making sure everyone is heard, whether they're able to vote or not. Thank you, Miles Tokenow and Justin Allen for speaking with us about the 2023 legislation session and the important issues surrounding New Mexico that need to be addressed. Our next song is Pajaro de Mar by Indus, selected by our guest, Miles Tokenow. Why are there not many New Mexican Latinas in philanthropy? Dr. Denise Herrera is a New Mexican Latina and the executive director of the Con Alma Health Foundation. The Con Alma Health Foundation works to serve diverse cultural and racial groups through a health equity lens. They focus on ensuring that New Mexican communities and organizations have access to resources and policy solutions. Dr. Herrera tells us more about this her journey in philanthropy, and the recent gift of $5 million that they received from global philanthropist and author Mackenzie Scott. Dr. Herrera has spent her career training to invest in the health and well-being of New Mexicans. She has also co-authored a report called Changing the Face of Philanthropy to create a pipeline of Latino leaders in philanthropy. I'll turn it over to our interviewer and co-host, Malamita Santana, we hope you enjoy this empowering interview. This is Madhumita Santanam with Generation Justice, 
and I'm speaking with Dr. Denise Herrera, Executive Director of the Cone Alma Health Foundation. Welcome to Generation Justice, Denise. Thank you so much, and thank you for including me today. Of course, we're really happy to have you here. Um, please tell us more about yourself personally. Um, sure. So again, I just wanted to thank Generation Justice for inviting me here today. I've been following your work for several years now with deep admiration and respect. Um, a little bit about me. So I grew up in the South Valley area in Albuquerque in a two-parent household with two older siblings. Um, my six nieces and nephews are my pride and joy. They range in age from 15 to 24. And after finishing my undergraduate education at UNM, I spent about 20 years in Arizona, Texas, and New Jersey, finishing up graduate school and also working at two of the largest health foundations in the country. Um, I guess, you know, I have a deep passion for issues related to public health and making sure that every community has the opportunity to live a healthy life. That's a little bit about me in a nutshell, I guess. Thank you for sharing that. Can you talk to us about the history and the mission of Konalma Health Foundation? Sure, happy to. So Konalma Health Foundation first came about through a sale of Blue Cross Blue Shield New Mexico, the insurance company. Um, back in 2001, policymakers and community advocates worked together to establish what's now known as Konalma Health Foundation. And they thought that that was the best way to invest that $20 million from that sale of Blue Cross Blue Shield New Mexico. Um, at the time, state law required that the for-profit insurance company leave something behind um, that would become an investment that would benefit the health of people that live in New Mexico. So that's where we get our money from. Um, as a statewide foundation, our main mission is to improve the health status and access to health services for everybody that lives in New Mexico. Um, we do that through awarding grants to nonprofits in our state, uh, making some contributions to events and conferences, and we also serve the role of convener, and we bring people and communities together around specific health issues. Um, something kind of unique about health conversion foundations like Konama is that we have a board of trustees, which of course is our governing body, but we also have a community advisory committee, or CAC, C-A-C for short, that advises the board and the staff on health-related issues happening regionally. And both of those groups I just mentioned, um, we have representatives from all over the state that really add diverse perspectives to our work. That's awesome. Thank you for sharing about the history and all of that. It's amazing. Um, Denise, there are not many Latinas and especially New Mexican Latinas leading philanthropic foundations in the United States. Can you talk to us a bit about your journey in philanthropy? Definitely, I'm happy to. And it's interesting that you mentioned that there aren't many Latinas or Latinos working in philanthropy. I think the statistic is something like less than 2% of all executives in philanthropy are Latino and less than 0.5 of that 2% are Latino women. And so here I am, somehow I landed at the only health foundation in the state of New Mexico as executive director and that's a very unique and privileged position to be in that I don't take for granted. Um, I often say that my journey into philanthropy started as a happy accident. Um, I didn't really find philanthropy, it found me, I would say. And until I started working in the sector, I just assumed that only wealthy people or family members of wealthy people worked at foundations and gave their assets away and their money away. And after finishing my doctoral program, 
I applied to work at Robert Wood Johnson Foundation, which happens to be the largest health foundation in the US. And they're headquartered in Princeton, New Jersey. And I was most interested in working to change the inequitable and unfair systems that weren't designed for some communities or people to succeed. And so I was thinking about, you know, health sort of at the really high level, like I wanted to tackle root causes and solve problems with colleagues all over the country that work in different sectors, not just health. And um, I guess during my, my five years I was at RWJF, I mostly designed and managed large scale evaluation. So helping consultants and communities understand their programs and the impact that their programs were having. And I also helped design um, four national leadership programs that are still in motion today. So, you know, Robert Wood Johnson's mission is to build a national culture of health, which is a very big, huge mission, right? We want to create health for everybody in the country. And um, in order to do that, we really needed to develop leaders, like a cadre of leaders all over the country to help them achieve their mission. And so I would say that working at that foundation was probably in my dream come true in many ways. Um, and I'm not an East Coast person. I don't really, I don't do winter. And so I knew I would eventually want to head back to the Southwest or closer to home. And so most recently I was in Austin, Texas working with um, St. David's Foundation, which is also, excuse me, it's also the largest health foundation in the state of Texas. And, you know, last May is when I moved back to Santa Fe um, to work with Quanama Health Foundation. And so my journey has been a little bit convoluted. It hasn't been necessarily a straight path. And I was really trained and groomed to be a professor and to work in academia and to maybe teach health or, you know, theories classes or program evaluation classes, for example. Um, but I feel very blessed to work in philanthropy because I get to work with people in all sectors, really, that are trying to solve problems together. So I'm really blessed to be in this position. Of course, yeah. And I'm so glad that you're working in philanthropy and more power to you. Um, I also think when you said that philanthropy found you, I thought that was very powerful. So thank you for sharing that. Definitely. Kona Elma Health Foundation recently received a $5 million gift from global philanthropist and author Mackenzie Scott. That's so exciting. What can you share with us about the process to receive such an amazing gift? Sure. Thank you for acknowledging that. Um, you know, first, I want to share my gratitude and deep respect for what Mackenzie Scott is modeling for the rest of us. She's really showing us what trust-based philanthropy is at its finest. So she's putting her trust in organizations like Koanama um, with very few restrictions or reporting requirements involved. So what I can share is that, you know, so far her donor gifts have been unrestricted, which means that the nonprofit recipients have a lot of flexibility in how to use those funds as long as they're working to achieve their mission in some way. Um, in 2019, Ms. Scott signed the Giving Pledge, which is a promise by the world's wealthiest individuals and families to give the majority of their wealth away to charitable causes in their lifetime. And I think you asked about the process. Um, for us, the process started back in March of this year so Mackenzie Scott works with various consulting groups to help direct her philanthropic giving. So in our case, a colleague introduced me to one of the consulting groups 
because they were particularly interested in health foundations that serve rural and underserved communities in the US. And of course, you know, that's our mission basically at Konama. So we were definitely on their, their radar. And so my associate director, Amy, and I had a series of conversations with that consulting group. Um, we shared existing documents that they requested, like financials, annual reports, and other things. And the donor gift was confirmed in late September of this year. So in our case, you know, this wasn't an open process, meaning uh, Ms. Scott's team reached out to me directly. I did not compete for this particular funding with other applicants. Um, but some exciting things I think are in the hopper for Mackenzie Scott's team. Um, just last week, her team released a free database that includes more information about her giving. So we're actually included in that database. People can learn more about Konama. But she also released plans to create an open application process in the future. And that database, if people are interested, it's yieldgiving.com. So just the word yield, you know, Y-I-E-L-D, giving.com. And again, she's going to create an open application process in the future. So I encourage listeners to keep their ears out for that opportunity, which I'm certain will be highly competitive, but you never know, you know, if you might be a good fit for that funding. Yeah, thank you so much for sharing a bit about the process. Um, how will this investment help Kona Alma continue its mission? Yeah, great question. You know, we plan to spend a good portion of 2023 developing a spending strategy and a special initiative around this particular initiative. Um, I knew when this donor gift was confirmed what I didn't want to do. I didn't want to just add the money to our existing endowment. I didn't want to just do more grants in the same fashion that we're currently doing. I wanted to design a very specific initiative around this. And so we still have some details to work out about that. But I also plan to spend a portion of 2023 raising more money and leveraging this money because I think I could get some other national foundations on board. So I, you know, I don't have a specific initiative that I can share today, but I'm hoping that this investment will help accelerate some of the work that some of our nonprofits are already doing in New Mexico to advance health equity. That's amazing, yeah. Um, so why is it important to invest in New Mexico? You know, I, I think this question is really important. Um, again, I'm, I'm trained as an academic and a researcher. I'm also trained as an evaluator, and now I work in public health. And so I'm constantly thinking about um, how can we elevate a state like New Mexico, which we know it's no secret, you know, our state lacks many financial and other resources, but New Mexico is very rich when it comes to culture, traditions, and food. I don't know about you, but like, I love food. That, that is my love language. And, but we lack infrastructure, right? So how can we elevate our state um, in, in positive ways that other um, philanthropists or state and local government might be interested in. And so I think it's important for federal, local and state government, philanthropy and private donors to continue to invest in our state. You know, there's, there's 23 federally recognized tribes here in New Mexico, some of which still don't have running water or electricity in 2022, right? So I think if, when COVID-19 first hit, you know, Navajo Nation had some of the highest COVID rates in the country per capita didn't have running water. So you tell people to wash their hands. It's like, well, how are they gonna do that? They don't have basic necessities. But fast forward, you know, once the COVID vaccine 
became available, Navajo Nation now has some of the highest vaccination rates in the country per capita. So to me, that's a huge success story. And I think, you know, people and communities came together to solve a problem. And so, again, if people have access to resources, you know, I think they're, they're going to work creatively together to, to, to make something happen. Um, as you probably know, Indigenous communities are often the last to receive resources and the first to get their funding cut, you know. And I think of New Mexico in terms of landmass. I think we're the fifth largest state in terms of size, and our state is very spread out, right? So many rural communities lack access to basic necessities. Sometimes the nearest hospital or clinic is over 400 miles away, you know. And in New Mexico, a little can go a long way. So I'm particularly honored to work at the only health foundation in New Mexico that's dedicated solely to health because we get to be part of the solution, you know? And I think um, we have some really great examples here of different foundations and communities working together to solve problems. Um, I guess the last thing I'll say is one example, I'm thinking of the Native American Recovery Zone grant that is hosted by New Mexico Foundation. Um, it was kind of spearheaded by Henry Rael at McCune Foundation, and a group of funders came together about a year ago, and we raised, you know, I think it was over $1.5 million to be able to issue grants to tribal communities in New Mexico. And I think, again, a little could go a long way in our state. So I would encourage, you know, again, government and philanthropy and private donors to continue to think about investing in New Mexico. Of course, thank you so much for sharing about the need to invest in New Mexico. And thank you for bringing up about rural communities and the fact that so many of them don't have resources. I think that's uh, such an important thing to think about. So thank you so much for talking about that. Yeah, no, definitely. And if I can, I'd like to add one more point about that. You know, something that's really, I think, interesting about our state, we have over 78 school-based health centers in New Mexico. And you know they, they vary in terms of services provided and how fancy they are. But in some communities, the school-based health center is the only access people have to a nurse practitioner or physician assistant, for example. And so again, I think New Mexico has the opportunity to think creatively about how to use existing resources, such as the 78 school-based health centers, right? To make sure that people have access to some of the health, um, the health needs that they have. Um, here at GJ, we're, we're really big on setting intentions for the new year. Do you have any hopes or intentions for 2023 that you would like to share with us? Oh, that's a great question. You know, so I, I don't personally believe in like New Year's resolutions or things like that. I just feel like you should try to, you know, be the best version of yourself all year long. <laughs> and so I guess, I guess my intention for, for myself personally is just to show up as my full self every single day that I do this work and to be authentic in, in the ways in which I guess I do the work. That probably sounds like really low-hanging fruit, but I think um, we can all agree that the last couple of years have been really difficult for probably everybody in the world, not just our state, and just kind of surviving has been exhausting. And so I guess my intention for myself is just to be the best version of myself that I can be and to continue to model for my team. I have a wonderful staff of three other colleagues and my intention is to continue to model what it's like to have a healthy work environment for them because they deserve that. 
Absolutely. That was very powerful. Thank you. Um, where can people learn more about the Kona Alma Health Foundation? Sure. I guess one of the, the best things to do is to visit our website, which is konalma.org, C-O-N-A-L-M-A.org. Um, on there, you can learn about our grant opportunities. We usually have at least two grant cycles per year. Um, we just announced our 2022 Heroes of Health. And you get to read about the two people that we picked. And I'm very excited. I think Generation Justice might appreciate this. Um, this year, we decided to also acknowledge a youth hero of health. Um, and we're going to continue that um, going forward because we're so inspired by this year's heroes that we wanted to, to continue to elevate a more traditional hero and also a younger hero in, in our state. And so you'll see um, Tina Cordova was selected as our traditional hero. And then um, Hotchkiss was our youth hero of health that we named earlier this year. And they just have both really compelling stories that I encourage folks to, to learn about. We also have a Facebook page, a LinkedIn page, Medium, and Instagram. Um, we're currently taking a break from Twitter because I don't believe that that's a platform that we want to be associated with at the moment. And so I would encourage folks to visit us on the other social media platforms. So again, Facebook, LinkedIn, Instagram, and Medium to learn more information. That's amazing. Thank you so much for sharing about where we can find more information about Kona Alma Health Foundation. Is there anything else that you would like to add? I guess, again, you know, thank you to Generation Justice. Again, I've really admired your work over the past couple of years. And I think that you all are really um, modeling, <laughs> you know, what it's like to really use media in a constructive and productive way. And so congratulations on all of your successes this year. And again, thank you for your interest in Kwanama Health Foundation. You know, because of partners like you all, you know, we're able to, again, be part of the solutions um, to the most pressing health challenges in our state. Thank you. And thank you, Denise Herrera, for speaking with Generation Justice, for speaking with me about your work and your amazing, amazing journey and about Kona Alma Health Foundation. Um, it means so much to be talking to you. You're such an amazing person, and I'm so happy that you're telling me all of this and talking to me about the importance of investing in New Mexico, because I feel like New Mexico has so much potential. So thank you so much for speaking with me. It's truly an honor. Yeah, well, thank you so much, Madhu. Those words are so so kind, and they mean a lot. And, you know, they're there are a lot of other people out there like me who grew up in New Mexico, left and came back. And I will share just out of transparency, my return to New Mexico has not been the smoothest or easiest transition. And so, you know, to all the listeners out there, if you have um, a new colleague or, or neighbor that recently returned to New Mexico, I encourage you to reach out and get to know that person and see how you can support them. Because I'm often viewed as an outsider which can sometimes be difficult. And I don't mean to go off on a tangent, but um, I just encourage people to, to remember that I actually grew up here. Like I went to college here. I grew up in one of the most humbling communities in, in, in the state. And just because I left for 20 years, doesn't mean that I haven't always had the best interests of New Mexico at heart. And when I was working with the, the largest health foundation in the country, I actually did a lot of work here in New Mexico. It was just behind the scenes and I wasn't physically here. So again, thank you so much for including me today.
Of course, it's it was our pleasure. For Generation Justice, I'm Madumita Santana. Thank you, Dr. Denise Herrera, for speaking about your work and your journey and the importance of health equity in New Mexico. And thank you for inspiring young women of color to make a difference in our community and in the world. Dr. Denise Herrera wanted to share this song with you. Here is Anyway by Martina McBride, a song about hope, love, perseverance, and faith. After that, DJ Leader for Change fellow, Ariana Cordova, brings us our weekly vaccine equity segment. God is great, but sometimes This is Ariana Cordova, your vaccine equity host for this evening. The CDC has been tracking the rise of a new, highly contagious COVID-19 variant called XBB 1.5. It is important that we stay as COVID safe as possible. For this, here at GJ, we would like to suggest you all stay up to date with your COVID vaccinations. COVID-19 cases have been rising. Understand that COVID safety is important to maintain. Please be sure to stay conscious of your own health and safety, as well as that of others. And to help stay COVID safe, make sure you are vaccinated and boosted by visiting itstimenm.org. The bivalent Omicron booster is now available to be administered to children between the ages of six months and five years. It is also important to keep in mind that booster shots are only available after a monovalent primary dose is administered. The bivalent dose is not a primary dose. If you or your child have not yet been vaccinated against COVID-19, please visit itstimenm.org. For other immunization information, go to nmhealth.org. Don't forget, testing also remains a staple to halting the spread of COVID-19. To order at-home COVID tests at no cost or to find information on PCR testing locations, visit findatestnm.org. One more time, that's findatestnm.org. Please keep in mind that safety from all viral illnesses is also important to maintain. Immunization against all viral illnesses like the flu and RSV are necessary precautions. Also, for further COVID-19 information and resources, please visit protectyourhoodnm.org. Again, that is protectyourhoodnm.org. And that's all today for our vaccine equity segment. Please do your part to look out for the well-being of our community. Welcome to tonight's community calendar. Let's discuss some exciting events coming up in New Mexico. The 2023 legislative session is here and it is important to be well informed on significant issues affecting our state. That's right, Zen. Speaking of important topics, if you're interested in learning more about reform and the criminal legal system in New Mexico, ACLU New Mexico is hosting the Virtual Smart Justice Legislative Advocacy Workshop. The workshop will be this Wednesday, February 1st from 5.30 to 7 p.m. They discuss ways to end mass incarceration, decrease police violence, decriminalize poverty, and end racial injustice in this legislative session. For more information on this virtual event, 
visit aclu-nm.org. Again, that's aclu-nm.org. What else is going on this month, Mother? Jazz at Lincoln Center, Songs We Love, is happening February 2nd from 7.30 to 9 p.m. This event highlights new and upcoming jazz artists and expands the knowledge of jazz culture and education at the New Mexico Jazz Festival. Join them at Lenzik Performing Arts Center, located at 211 W San Francisco Street, Santa Fe. You can learn more information about this event at lenzik.org. Again, that's lenzik.org. Our friends at Partnership for Community Action are starting their Healthy Children and Families program on February 2nd. The program will end on August 1st, and participants will meet every Tuesday from 6 to 8 p.m. This program is aimed at young parents ages 15 through 25, focusing on community organizing, social emotional learning, and financial literacy. For more information about this event, you can call PCA at 505-247-9222. Again, that's 505-247-9222. Is there anything else going on this month, Mother? The African American Day Council is hosting the African American Day at the Legislature. This event will occur on Friday, February 10th from 9 a.m. to 2 p.m. Come to the African American Day Council to learn more about the legislative process and make deeper connections with our local government. For more information on this event, call Athena Miles at 505-484-7781. Again, that's 505-484-7781. That's it for our calendar events. Make sure to stay safe as you venture out into the community. We hope you've enjoyed this hour of community action. We'd like to thank our guests, Dr. Denise Herrera, Miles Tokenow, and Justin Allen. Tonight's hour radio was produced by Roberta Rayal and Barbara Ramirez with production assistance from Sonandita Santana. Madhumita Santanam, and myself, Zan Dixon. And thank you to our interviewer and vaccine equity host, Aviana Cordova. We want to give a big shout out to all of our youth producers. We cannot do what we do without you. Generation Justice would also like to thank KUNM for bringing the voices of young people to you, KUNM listeners. Our website is generationjustice.org, where you can check out all of our multimedia work and listen to our podcast which are also available on SoundCloud, Apple, and Google Podcasts. We're also active on social media. Find us on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and follow our playlists on Spotify. Generation Justice is funded by WK Kellogg Foundation, with additional funding from the Annie E. Casey Foundation, Cornell Health Foundation, the New Mexico Department of Health, Better Together Infectious Disease Bureau, and the Office of School and Adolescent Health, as well as the city of Albuquerque, Race Forward, Media Justice, and of course, all of you who've contributed to our project by visiting our website and clicking donate. Our opening song is Youth of the Nation by P.O.D. I'm Madhumita Santanam. And I'm Zan Dixon. Coming up on KUNM is Spoken Words, so stay tuned and join us next Sunday at 7 o'clock. Have a great one, New Mexico.